Good morning. So glad you could make it. Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Lord, you know how we like to take things into our own hands as women. Lord, you know the issues that we have with just giving things to you, of casting our burdens on you and simply trusting in you. Lord, I pray that you would work in us a spirit of faith, Lord, that would trust you, that wouldn't lean on our own understanding, that wouldn't take matters into our own hands. But Lord, we would rely on you that we might see the greater work, that we might experience the reward of faith. And Lord, that there might be peace in our lives. So Lord, we give you this time. I thank you for every woman that has come this morning and pray that you would bless her, that you would speak to her, that you would help her to live in the realm of faith and not in the realm of the flesh. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be talking about King Asa. And before we get into this study, I I want to ask you, have you ever struggled to just leave something in the Lord's hands? Uh, Years ago, my friend Nancy Sylvester, she used to talk about the rod and reel casting of our burdens. She said, we cast our burdens on the Lord, and then we tend to reel them right back and take control. How dangerous is that? But how common, how often do we all fall into that trap? Who hasn't struggled with simply trusting God? There are those subtle suggestions of the devil himself. He comes to us and he says things like, God's not going to come through, or God doesn't really care about your problems. Your problems are so trite, so minuscule compared to the things God is concerning himself about. You know, God has to keep the universe in order. And you really think your problems are important to God? The enemy would say things to us like, you're not going to like the way God's going to work. You're not going to like what he's going to do. You should do it yourself. Don't rely on God or God's ways are going to hurt You don't want to go through pain or suffering. Just get it all over with. Take it into your own hand. This is the same subtle temptation that he was giving to Eve in the garden. Eve, take it into your own hands. Also, there are those subtle suggestions, proddings, if you will, um, from from friends, people who mean well. But they say to us things like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you done this? Oh, you haven't done that? Hmm. How are you protecting yourself just in case of? Now, I'm not suggesting that we act irresponsibly and we forego all precautions. I mean, I lock my doors at night. I lock my doors when I'm driving. But I am saying that overall, we need to trust the Lord and lean not on our own understandings, but we need to seek him. And we need to put our reliance in him and his guidance. He will lead us. He will tell us what to do. Sometimes those helpful suggestions that our friends give only add condemnation or extra burdens. At times they instill fear in us instead of faith. Because all of a sudden we feel like it's our responsibility to make things right instead of God's responsibility. The good news about our struggle to trust God is that these times when we struggle to trust God, 
to give him the situation completely are the times when our faith is being refined. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 7, that our faith through these times of, of struggle and doubt to trust are the times when our faith is becoming more precious than gold. God is interested in us living in the realm of faith. Why? Because faith can do so much more than silver and gold. God knows the power of faith. When Jesus walked the earth, he told the disciples that faith could move mountains. He told them that faith could cast out demons. He told them that faith allowed men to see. When he healed blind Barabbas, he said, let it be according to your faith. And that's when Barabbas saw. When the woman was delivered of the issue of blood, he told her it was because of her faith. He commended the woman of Tyre and Sidon, whose daughter was delivered from a demon because of her faith. Faith brings healing. In fact, Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, when Peter was about to go through his hardest time, the darkest day and night of his life, a season that would last until Jesus rose from the dead and Peter saw him, a very dark time. Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed, what he needed to endure the dark time, to resist the advances of Satan who wanted to sift him like wheat, had asked for him by name. What Peter needed most of all was faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that it's faith that is 100% effective in quenching the fiery darts of the enemy. Nothing else is 100% effective against those darts of the enemy but faith. This is why the devil tries so hard to dampen our faith. So he'll assail us with doubt. He'll make us feel that our our own unworthiness has disqualified us from anything that God could give us. He'll say things like, why should you expect anything from God? Have you done this? Have you read your Bible every day? Have you prayed enough? No. But you know what? God is God. And our expectation is what God can do. And it's not based on our worthiness but God's greatness and his goodness and our trust and reliance in him. The enemy tries to get us to take these things into our own hands because once we pull this thing into our hands, we've lost, we're powerless, we're weakened. But when we give it into God's hands, we are strong and we are assured of victory and the strengthening of our faith. Satan will suggest plots and schemes to us. Oh, if you did this, if you did that. He'll, he'll give us whole scenarios of how to get our aims done. Why? Because we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that he's a schemer. We're told that he has wiles. At times he will push us. He will pressure us. He will try to elicit from us knee-jerk responses where we're just reacting to a situation rather than praying and leaning into God. Over 80 times, the Bible exhorts us to trust God. The Bible also tells us to wait on the Lord. 
in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, wait on the Lord. In Psalm 40, verse 1, it tells us to wait on the Lord. This word wait in the Hebrew, according to the Holman's Christian Standard Bible, says this, waiting on the Lord shows faithfulness to Yahweh in refraining from taking things into one's own hands or going to another source for help. How do we wait on the Lord? We wait on the Lord by not taking it into our own hands or going someplace else for help. That's how we wait on the Lord. That's how we trust in the Lord. We are to commit our problems to God and wait for him to act or to instruct us, to tell us what to do. In so doing, as we wait on the Lord, our faith is refined. It becomes more precious than gold. We are strengthened in faith. We become stronger in faith. We grow in faith. Our faith increases. We are able to set forth the testimony of faith to others where we can say with confidence, trust God. He will come through. He has done it for me. He'll do it for you. Not only that, but faith is so attractive that others are drawn to faith. When, you know, how many of us have gone to hear a faith story or will read a book uh, such as Corey Tinboom's The Hiding Place? Why? Because it's a story of enduring faith. And we see as she held on to the Lord, God brought her through extremities to a better and great reward. Faith is so attractive. So what makes us want to take these situations into our own hands? Obviously, it's a lack of trust in God. We doubt that he will come through, don't we? We think, what if he doesn't? Maybe he won't. At other times, it's we doubt his existence. Can we be honest about that? There are times we think, what if God's not real? That's something that Satan whispers to us. If God's not real and you're just deluded, then you're all on your own right now. But the glory is God is real. Sometimes we doubt God's faithfulness to us. We judge God's willingness to work in our lives on whether we deserve it or not. But God is merciful. God is gracious. God is forgiving. This is what the word of God tells us. And the word of God cannot fail. And the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God is not looking for perfection, but he is looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him. He is looking for those who won't take the situation into their own hands and won't go to another source besides him for that help. Often, we take things into our own hands because we want an immediate fix. We don't appreciate God's timetable. We want it done now in our timetable. As Amy Carmichael once said, God is seldom early, but he's never late. We want things a year early, two years early, five years early. We like things coming to us early, but God has perfect timing. But we often want an immediate fix, immediate alleviation of our pain or our problems or our trials. But God is doing something through these trials. Often, let's be honest, we want it done our way. We have a certain way that we want God to work. And we know he's going to work in his own way. 
as women, we're like that, aren't we? We have a certain way we want our towels folded. We have a certain way we want our bed made. We have a certain way we want to iron the shirts. We just have a certain way of doing everything we do. I have this certain way of doing dishes, and it's a little bit crazy, but I, I like to rinse them off, and I never like a dirty dish plunged into my clean dishwater. I want to rinse it off, make it really clean before it goes into my clean dishwater. And uh, of course, Brian doesn't quite get that. And so I end up usually doing the dishes by myself, which is exactly what happens when we take these things into our own hands to do it our way. We end up with a lot of work and doing it all by ourselves without the power and energy and help of the Lord. God's got a better way. According to Isaiah 55, God said, my ways are not your ways, but my ways are higher. They're better. They're more efficient. When we take things into our own hands, we miss the greater work that God wants to do in our lives and the lives of others. We also miss the glory that God wants to bring into our lives, the revelation of who he is and what he can do. And we also miss the greater victory. The victory that he wants to bring into our lives to assure a thorough victory and a lasting victory. Asa was a king that took things into his own hands. The beginning of Asa's reign was so promising. He started right away with godly reforms. And this is even more spectacular when you consider that his father, and his grandfather were not godly. In fact, they introduced idolatry. In fact, it was his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father. Three generations had brought in idolatry to Judah. But Asa stands up, and he begins to make godly reforms. He begins to cast out all the idolatry that is in Judah. He gets rid of the Asherah poles and the... uh, altars to Baal and some of the other gods. He cleanses them out and he announces to Judah that they are going to serve the Lord God of their fathers. He removes the pagan shrines and the high places and the incense altars and he begins to fortify Judah. He says to the people in 2 Chronicles 14, 7, let's build these cities And surround them with walls and towers, with doors and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he gave us rest on every side. Asa experienced 10 years of peace when he took the kingdom. 10 years. And during that 10 years of peace, he sought the Lord and he relied on the Lord. And he took away every other prop. So he was relying on the Lord alone. He took that time of peace to fortify the cities of Judah and to cleanse out the idolatry. In other words, he stayed busy serving God during that time of peace. And he gave God the glory. He he said, the reason that we're still in this land, the reason that we have peace in this land The reason that we have prosperity, the strengthening of our cities, is all because we have sought the Lord. We've waited on the Lord. We've relied on the Lord. We haven't taken it into our own hands. We haven't outsourced our problems. And that's why we have this peace. And that's why we're prospering. 
Well, as soon as Asa made this declaration, it wasn't long until that declaration was tested. Have you ever noticed how God will speak something to you and the next day you're going to be tested on it? It just seems like that resolve that you made is all of a sudden in question and you're thinking, did I do the right thing? And you can think of all these schemes uh, that you should do. All these doubts will arise. All these fears will, that you didn't even think about, that you wouldn't ordinarily think about, suddenly come to you. You're being tested. Your faith is being tested. And that's what we find right here in chapter 14 of Second Chronicles, that Asa's faith is tested. An army led by a man named Zerah of over a million Ethiopians comes against Judah. They're already not too far from the capital of Jerusalem. And they've got 300 chariots and they're aggressive and they want to destroy Judah. So Asa, he amasses his army together. He's got 500 and uh, 5,000, sorry, 5,800 men. Uh, sorry, 580,000 men. This time, I really mean it. That's the right number, 580,000. See what happens when I try to look at you and not my notes? He's got 580,000 men, which is roughly half of what the Ethiopians have. Now, remember, Asa's had a time of peace. He hasn't been at war. His troops aren't trained. His troops aren't ready for a battle. These Ethiopians, they have battled all the way from Ethiopia and they've been victorious, victorious, victorious. And now here they are in Judah's territory and they've been victorious. They've taken everyone else down. And Asa mobilizes the army and he goes out to fight them. But before the army engages the Ethiopians in battle, Asa prays, and this is his prayer. Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are God. Do not let man prevail against you. At this time, Asa's reliance is totally on God. His reliance is not in their army, the power of their army, the size of their army. His reliance is not in another nation to come to their aid. His reliance is not in their power. His reliance is in the name of the Lord. And he said, this, this is where we're resting. This is our confidence. Our confidence is in the Lord. Well, God answers this prayer of faith. In fact, we find out that the Ethiopians are struck down before Judah until there's not one Ethiopian left of the army. They are overthrown, unable to recover, and Judah gathers great spoil. In fact, the spoil is so much that they're able to offer 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from this spoil to God in a thanksgiving sacrifice for this victory. Asa saw that God came through, came through abundantly for him when he relied on the Lord. About this time, 
Asa is met by the prophet Oded. And Oded gives Asa a warning and a promise. He says to Asa, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Second Chronicles 15, 2. It's a promise to Asa. God is with you as long as you look to him and rely on him. God is going to act on your behalf. But it's also a warning. If you rely on anything or anyone else, God will leave you to that reliance. If you seek him, he will be found of you. If you neglect him, he will neglect you. The prophet reminded Asa of the former estate of Judah. When Judah was not relying on the Lord, they were without the true God. Everyone was just doing what was right in their own eyes. They had been without a teaching priest, without instruction, and they had been without the law of God. And in those days, when Judah wasn't relying on the Lord, when they didn't know the Lord, when no one was instructing them about the Lord, when they didn't have the law of the Lord, the prophet said that there was turmoil on the inhabitants of Israel. There was war on every side. But the prophet encouraged Asa, but as for you, be strong, don't be discouraged, for your work will be rewarded. Again, faith has a reward. Asa had seen the reward of faith. It was victory. It was peace. It was spoils. And this victory was a complete and thorough victory. In Hebrews eleven six, and we know this is the great chapter of faith, we're told that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith has a reward. When we rely on God, we will be rewarded. There will be that victory. There will be those spoils. There will be that ensuing peace. Asa loves this word from the prophet. In fact, it inspires him to even more godly reforms. He offers sacrifices to God. He encourages the people to enter into a covenant with God. He even removes his idolatrous grandmother from a place of influence in Israel because she's put up an obscene pole to Asherah, another god. He puts gold and silver into the temple treasury. In other words, he makes a personal investment. And for 25 years, peace reigns in Judah. Things become very prosper, prosperous. Things are very comfortable. But you know, there's a danger in prosperity. There's a danger in comfort, isn't there? We love it. We absolutely love comfort. We love prosperity. We love having all the money to pay our bills and not having to go, oh no, Lord, please pay our bills. We like to know where every meal is coming from. But that's not healthy for us, is it? Because it's in those times that we begin patterns of relying on ourselves. We kind of say, oh, that's all right, God, I've got this one. Thank you for the big things. You just keep the earth spinning and the sun rising every morning, and I'll take care of the little things. And this reliance on self and reliance on others begins to subtly make its way into our heart and the patterns of our lives. Why? Because in those times, we are not feeling our need for God. Though God is 
always the supplier of our needs. Prosperity has a way of making us so forgetful. And we begin to take liberties. And we become neglectful in our spiritual activity. You know, there's nothing like a national crisis to fill the churches with people. Because we tend to slack off. Oh, I really don't need fellowship right now. Oh, I didn't read my Bible a day. Oh, I didn't read my Bible two days. Oh, it's been two weeks. Oh, it's been three weeks. Oh, I really haven't prayed. But a trial, all of a sudden I'm like, I need a promise. You're reading the word every opportunity you have. You are praying constantly. You're grabbing people and you're praying with them. You need your Christian friends. You're at church all the time. You need the Bible studies. You need the worship. You need to be reminded of who God is. Why is it that we don't do these things in our comfort and our prosperity? Why do we wait till the trials hit to make things right with God? You see, in the first 10 years of Asa's reign, they had prosperity, but they used it to fortify, to strengthen the cities and to get rid of the idolatry. We need to use these times of peace these times of comfort, not to slack off, but to get more involved in godly activity. These are the times to fortify the cities of God, to fortify our hearts with God, to grow in the word of God. But that's not what Asa did. Asa began to slack off. And so when a new threat arises, And it's not as bad as the earlier one. It's not a huge army of a million. It's not 300 chariots. It's the king of Israel, who's a much lesser king than the king of Ethiopia, much less army. It's simply that Baasha, who is in Israel, he starts building a city. He builds this city or a fortress, really, in a place called Ramah, which is on the main trade route to Jerusalem. So you see the issue is not a military military issue. It's not an issue of a threat of the lives of the people in Judah. It's not like the country is going to be taken over. What the threat is, it's a commercial threat. It's a financial threat. And for some reason, because this is a financial threat, Asa does not pray. Asa does not seek the Lord. He doesn't say, oh God, remove this threat. Stop this building. No. Asa, who had prayed before, Lord, it's nothing for you to save with many or with few, does not pray. Instead, he goes to the ungodly, idolatrous king Ben-Hadad, who is over Assyria, and he says to him, Break your covenant with Baasha of Israel, and I will pay you lots and lots of money. Ben-Hadad agrees to this deal, and he breaks his treaty with Baasha, and he begins to attack the cities of Israel, the supply cities in the region of Naphtali. Baasha has to abandon his building of Ramah. And he has to go and defend the supply cities of Israel. So at this point, Asa sweeps down on Ramah. And he disassembles it completely. Takes all the building supplies 
and built two of his own fortresses on this major commerce route to ensure that the commerce and livelihood of Judah will continue. After he does this building, and and he's successful. No doubt Asa is probably congratulating himself on his scheme and his plan. It worked and it was so easy. He's met by another prophet. This prophet is Hanani. And he informs Asa that because Asa relied on the king of Syria, trusted in the king of Syria, and not in God, he lost the opportunity for a greater victory. This is chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles. Asa lost the chance for a greater victory. In fact, Hanani tells Asa that God wanted to make him stronger than the king of Syria. He wanted to put him above the king of Syria. But now that wouldn't happen. He tells Asa that Asa also lost the opportunity for a thorough victory. He would have had a complete victory. But Hanani warns him that from now on, he would have wars. He had had these long periods of peace, but now the peace would be gone and there'd be raiders and he'd be vulnerable and he'd have to fight all these battles for the rest of his kingship. Because of a lack of faith, reliance on other things, he was robbed of victory and he was robbed of peace. Don't let this be our story. That's what happens when I begin to take things into my own hands. I lose the opportunity for the great victory, for the greater victory. I lose the opportunity for that peace and that thorough victory. I remember going through a particular trial in my life and the Lord speaking to me and saying, Cheryl, do you want a quick work? or a long work. And I said, Lord, I want this to go as quickly as possible. And the Lord said, then cooperate with me. And I knew, should I take that trial in my own hands, I would forever have wars. I'd forever be battling it. And so I gave it completely to the Lord. What does God want? He wants our trust and our cooperation so he can give us the greater victory, the better victory, the thorough victory, and the spoils of war. The prophet reminded Asa of God's past faithfulness. He said to Asa, do you remember? Do you remember that time with the Ethiopians when you relied on God and how God gave you this great victory and there were spoils, there were gifts. There was an abundance. You were rewarded. You see, God's past work in our life is the fuel for the faith we need today and tomorrow. In fact, in Psalm 37, 3, the same Psalm that reminds us not to fret because of evildoers, not to fret because of men who bring evil schemes to pass. We're told that we need to commit our ways to the Lord and feed on his faithfulness. In other words, we need to remind ourselves of all that God has already done in our lives. 
That's why Thanksgiving is so important. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us that we're not supposed to be anxious over anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's seeking God, with thanksgiving, reminding ourselves of all that God has already done, all that we already have in God. We are to give those requests to him. And what do we get in exchange? The peace of God that passes understanding. God's past faithfulness, again, is the fuel for our faith today. Jesus was constantly reminding his disciples of his faithfulness. When they began to doubt or they got scared, he would remind them of how he fed the 5,000. And there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. How he fed the 4,000. And there were seven basketfuls. He reminded them how they lacked nothing when he sent them out in twos all over Israel to share the gospel. Then the prophet Haniah gives Asa a promise. And this is the promise. It's found in 2 Chronicles 16.9. He says to him, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is loyal to him. What an incredible promise. Don't you love that? I don't know of one person who hasn't at some time or another claimed that. Oh, Lord, all you're looking for is loyalty. You're just looking for me to look to you alone and not outsource, and you will come through. Isn't that interesting to think of God looking for people who want him to work so that he will work? Now, it's interesting because when we're in a right place with God, this promise is outstanding. It's absolutely wonderful, and we get excited about it. But when we're not being loyal to the Lord, then it's not a good promise. And for Asa, he didn't appreciate this promise of God. In fact, do you know what happened? He resented it. We're told that he was enraged and angry about this. And then he became oppressive. When we take things into our own hands, this is what we turn into. This is what happens. Those promises of God no longer are blessed or special or precious to us. In fact, we begin to resent the promises of God. Have you ever been in a place where you're about to take something in your own hands and someone says about your problem, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And you're like, no, no, don't say that. You know, this can't work together for the good. And you almost resent that. You almost think, oh, they're being so trite. How dare they tell me this is going to work out? Why? Because you are being prodded and tempted to take it into your own hands. And instead of appreciating, instead of leaning into that, instead of being blessed and comforted by that promise, you resent it. That's one way to tell whether you're leaning on your own understanding or relying on God. Have you taken it into your own hands or have you given it to God? How do you feel about the promises of God? Do they get you excited or do they get you angry? Next, when we take things into our own hands, like Asa, we can become so oppressive. Why? Because we've got to get it done. So we begin to bully people. We begin to intimidate people. We begin to oppress others. 
This is what we do because we're going to do it by our strength. But when we rest in the Lord, when we rely on him, we can be kind to others. We can be of good cheer. We can actually rest. When we begin self-reliance, when we begin to take those things in our own hands and not lean into the Lord, it doesn't stop there. In fact, unfortunately, unless we break this cycle, it starts a pattern of self-reliance in us. And that's what we see in Asa. He's angry. He's oppressive to this prophet. He begins to oppress others. He puts his prophet in jail. And we're told not too long after this that Asa got a disease in his feet. And the disease got progressively worse. But Asa refused to seek the Lord. He refused. Instead, it said he sought the advice and the help of physicians who couldn't help him. Years later, he'll have a great, 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 great grandson named Hezekiah who will be told he's going to die. And that king, Hezekiah, will turn his face to the wall and seek the Lord alone, and he will be healed, and God will add 15 years to his life. That's what God will do in the reliance on God. But Asa turns from reliance on God. It's interesting to note that the overall evaluation of Asa's reign is positive. He was a moralist. He sought the Lord. Judah prospered under his rulership. And yet there's this area, this tragedy on which his reign ends, this sad note because of the lost potential, because Asa took matters into his own hands and did not rely on God. He could have had a much better testimony. He could have had a greater ending. He could have had a thorough victory. He could have had another testimony of faith. He could have had greater spoils. He could have had a rest and peace and an end of all the battles in his life. It could have gone so much better. You know, we can start out so well with God, just relying and seeking him. This is a danger for believers that after prosperity and comfort, they begin to slack off on spiritual activity, which leads to taking things into our own hands when it comes to trial, trying by our strength and our ingenuity and our plans to get the great work done. We can have an element of faith. May it never be said, oh, I had faith 10 years ago, 25 years ago, May we have greater faith. May we grow in faith and not self-reliance. What a warning to us. It's the same warning. If we seek God, he will be found by us. But if we neglect God, if we begin to take it into our own hands and outsource, God will allow us to take it into our own hands. God will even allow us success in our schemes, but our victory will be so inferior to the work that God desired to do. Our greatest success will come through faith and not the flesh. 
Because when we begin to rely on ourselves and take things into our own hands, we begin to scheme about how we're going to alleviate this trial in our life. We will resent God's correction and his word. We will not appreciate the promises of God. We will become easily angered and oppressive. But faith, if we choose faith, that reliance and waiting on God to act, we will receive the greater victory. We will receive the reward of faith and we will receive peace. Faith is waiting for God to act. Faith is resisting taking things into our own hands. Faith is allowing God's plan to come to pass and not our schemes. Faith relies on God and not on men. Our lives need faith. Would you agree with me? Would you say today, Cheryl, I need faith. I know I do. The things that I need accomplished in my life need a divine work, not a human work. I need that faith. I need that greater reliance on God. Nothing less will get the job done. Faith will accomplish the bigger and better things. Faith will bring a thorough, complete work. Faith will give us a reward. And faith will end the battles and give us peace. Let's pray that God would help us to grow in faith and not self-reliance, that God would keep us from taking things into our own hands, that he might work through us the greater work for his glory. Perhaps there's something right now in your life that you are so tempted to take into your own hands. And maybe you've felt those proddings of the enemy. You should take it in your own hands. Maybe you're receiving helpful suggestions. My answer to you, dear friends, dear sisters in Christ, is give it to the Lord. Rely on him absolutely and completely for the great, greater, and greatest work of God. What our world needs is divine. They need the intrusion of God, and they can only see God through our faith, and our faith will attract others, and it will make others want to lean on God. The psalmist said, I will make my boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. When we can say it's God, then others will want to lean and seek God for themselves and have that same victory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my sisters right now that you would bless them Lord, that you would help them not to take these things into their own hands. Lord, whatever that trial is right now, whatever that thing is that we're struggling with, we give it to you. Right now, Lord, as um, we seek you, will you speak into our hearts? Will you assure us that you have got it under control and that you are working? Dear sisters, while your eyes are closed, is there something that you need to give back to God? Is there something in your lives that you're so tempted to take into your own strength that you're tempted to outsource, to scheme, to plan, to try to make happen? I want you right now by faith to just cup your hands together and imagine yourself putting that thing, that issue, maybe that prodigal, that person right now into those hands and lifting it up and giving it to God in faith. Lord, we present to you this issue, 
this thing, this problem, this trial, this person. And we ask you to take this and bring about the greatest victory. Lord, we release it from our hands and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.